everybody. It is really incredible to be here. Um, yeah, it's been an amazing weekend, actually. It's been pretty surreal. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me has been that just being here, just what's been happening in the last 48 hours, is just to see God's prophetic word over my life come true, is just to see after sort of five years of, of some seriously hectic things that there is such grace and such goodness. We sang tonight, God is so good. And um, I'm just testifying this evening that God is so good. I am here because God is so good. Um, and if you could sing that part of that song, I'm healed, I'm anointed, I'm filled with his power, filled with his love. You need to know God is so, so good. And he's all about bringing you through and taking you to where he said and fulfilling his promises. So I'm so, it's just amazing. Thank you for being here this evening to share this like really incredible time with me. Um, just wanted to take a moment to say that and thank you to my beautiful family, my Glenridge family that has been such a big part of keeping me whole, keeping me standing, keeping me on my feet. I am so grateful um, that we get to serve God together. All right, so we started in the morning, and I'm looking around, and I'm not sure who is here in the morning. So who's here tonight only? That's a lot of you. They all said this morning they were coming back. They said they were coming back, and they didn't come back, Stan. Do they do that? You're here. They're here. They're here. <laughs> you came back. You came back. You see? There are. I see. I see your hands. I see your hands. Oh my goodness, I love my home group so much. It's so nice to see you guys tonight. I love you guys. Um, because I'm going to try and get through some of the beginning a little bit more quickly than I did this morning because we didn't get to the end. And the end of the story is an incredible, incredible part of the story. Today, I hope that this word will lead you to believe and that belief will lead to your salvation through Jesus Christ. I pray that if your eyes are closed and you cannot see, if your ears are stopped and you cannot hear, that you will be healed even as Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus on his way out of Jericho. Finally, if you believe in him, if you know Jesus, I pray that you will see and hear, make his power and his salvation known, and that you will walk in freedom in such a way that you will lead and welcome others into the same freedom that he has made available for us through his blood. That is what I'm hoping will come out of um, my sharing this today. So while Stan was preaching and um, we were in the chapter of Joshua, um, he was kind of telling the story. It's chapter two. It's pretty early on in the story. And he kind of says, and there was a woman in the wall. There was, there was, there was Rahab. And Rahab hid the spies. And, and, and suddenly I just saw it in a moment. I saw the woman in the wall. So my preach is called The Woman in the Wall. I saw a glimpse of a woman who caught the idea that God saves. God saves. There are so many rich threads in the story, and I was saying if I was really, really, really experienced, I would be like, I've got a five-point preach today. I've got five things for you to take away. That's all you need to know. We're strong. We're going to be going. But I, I'm, I'm still working on it, and that's why we didn't finish this morning. So the plan tonight is to kind of come get through this. If we look at Canaan... Um, in the area that God had said to the children of 
Israel, this is the land that you will inherit. This is what I've got for you. This is what I want you to know that your inheritance looks like. The children of Israel have come over um, the desert 40 years. A whole generation has died. And there is this war ahead of them. There's a fight. They're going to have to fight to receive the land that God has said is theirs. So we got Jericho. And Jericho is a walled town. If you like biblical history, um, people would live in small groupings. I mean, I love many social studies early civilization. People lived in small family groupings and clans and huts around one another. Jericho was a modern city in that time, in that it had walls around it. People lived in the walled area. In times of peace, they kind of lived around the walls. But at any time that there was a threat, everybody could retreat into the city and you were safe there. Um, there were people living in the inner walls and there were people living in the outer walls. And the main character of our story, Rahab, we are told, lived in the outer walls. These are the descendants of Canaan, a son of Noah. So these are God's people. They're not complete foreigners. You know, you're kind of in the Bible, and there's the Gergesites and the Hibbesites and the Jebusites, and you're like, I wonder where they come from. Who are these people? How does this start? But this actually is a line from Noah. They've survived the flood, but they have begun to live completely in their own way. They worship many gods, gods that were so terrible that... Yahweh, the Lord God, had said to his people, do not worship their gods. Do not mix the worship of me the way I've given you the law. Do not mix that with who I am. Don't bring those two things together. Deuteronomy 12 verse 2, God instructs the Israelites to destroy all the places where the nations before them practiced the worship of their gods. Why? Because what their gods wanted was despicable in God's eyes. There was nothing redeeming in the way that they worshipped. Just a quick look. Their chief god, Baal, was married to his mother, Asherah, and also kept his sister, Anath, as a lover. It was messed up. There was nothing good happening there. There was nothing to be emulated. It was not bringing life to the city of Jericho. There's some historians who've suggested that Jericho was so diseased, there was just so much happening in there that actually the only way to purify it was going to be by fire. You didn't want anything coming out of that city. You didn't want anyone surviving. You didn't want bloodlines. You wanted the whole thing gone. So we're given this context of what a city looks like completely cut out from the plans and the law of God. That's what sin looks like. When we remove God and we remove his laws, we remove his ways, it is unlovely. It's twisted. It's unhealthy. People are sacrificing their firstborn child to the God Baal to satisfy him. They're practicing what Baal does in order to feel a unity with him. They keep figurines that represents something of what they believe is power. If it's fertility that needed, it's needed, then they've got a fertility God. If it's the crops that need to grow, then they've got a God for that too. There was a God for everything in this city. In the picture of God's salvation of the Israelites, right back from when they were in Egypt, when he decides that he is going to take his children out of Egypt, he completely undoes all of the lies and everything that has set itself up as a godly power before. 
all of the 10 plagues that we've learned about, the frogs, the gnats, the locusts, every single one of them challenges, challenges these minor gods that people have come to know. And when I read those, I always thought, okay, clearly God wanted to show his power to the Israelites. He was going to show them that, no, 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 no. I alone am God. None of these gods are true. He wanted to show the Egyptians. But if you were an Israelite, you also needed to know that. Sometimes we live among lies for so long that we need clarity and truth to really come through and show us that actually that is the lie and this is the truth. And that is what God does incredibly powerfully. God served notice, and we're told that the people have noticed. Joshua 5 verse 1, their hearts melted in despair and they had no courage to face these attending Israelites. In Joshua 4 verse 24, it says that God was displaying his power so that all the people of the earth would know and acknowledge that the hand of the Lord is almighty and extraordinarily powerful so that you will fear the Lord your God forever. We need to have a revelation of a God who is extraordinarily powerful, for whom nothing is impossible. If there is something in your life that has set itself up as a fear, you need to remind it that you have a God who is extraordinarily powerful and set yourself up for a demonstration of that power in your life. I got to share my story on Saturday, and I can tell you that it's not an easy thing to do. This picture wasn't that clear five years ago. There were several situations that were setting themselves up as awful, devoid of God, and I wondered if salvation would come for me completely. I have a God who is extraordinarily powerful. He shows his hand as mighty. But I wanted to pay attention to those false gods because I want to remind us that sin is sin. There is nothing in it that is lovely. We cannot take the things that God has asked us not to do, the things that he has in his law, and try to kind of piece them along with what God has said that we're supposed to do. We cannot stand in faith and hold on to fear. We can't trust him with everything and hold on to our money because we don't know if we're going to make it to the end of the month. We can't listen to the words of others when he says, my word is above everything. Where there is sin, there is no loveliness. I didn't touch on it, but I quickly wanted to say that the Canaanites, the, the, those in Jericho were hearing about this leader called Joshua. His name was Joshua in the Bible, and his name means God saves. So like, who's this guy? Who's coming? Who's coming for us? What, what are they like? How, how many battles have they fought? Like, yeah, they took two kings out, but those are not big cities. Who are they? No, their leader is called God saves. Same people that walk through the Red Sea, those are the guys that are coming. Been in the desert for 40 years. I hear that they've had traveling food with them everywhere. They've even been drinking water from a rock. Same people, they're coming. Joshua is this beautiful picture of a man. He's given his name by Moses in Numbers 13, verse 16. He is established and encouraged. Love this picture. Jesus is getting baptized by John. Joshua is standing before the nation of Israel. And God is saying, I'm with you. Be strong and very courageous. Exodus 33 verse 11 tells us Joshua spent time in the presence of God even after Moses had gone. 
He knew God. He trusted God. He had seen God's extraordinary power, not only when God was dealing with his enemies, but even when God was dealing with sin within the camp of Israel. There's that incredible story where somebody is swallowed by the earth. I'm like, he had seen God's hand. He'd seen God's power, and he knew it. And so it is against this that we meet the woman in the wall. Rahab, the harlot. Rahab is not given another name. I looked. They've tried Rahab the innkeeper. Rahab the keeper of a small hotel at the entrance of a big city. Nope, she's Rahab the harlot. Rahab, a woman who was the lowest of the low in a city that kept on redefining low. She was used as men pleased and she was unredeemed. Rahab was a harlot maybe because of the idol worship of her time. It's a pretty standard thing to be a temple prostitute. You were representing something of the worship in that time. But maybe she was a, a harlot because of an income requirement. We know many cultures with the daughter would simply sell her into use so that the family could have income. It was likely that it was a mix of those things, an economic reason, a cultural reason, a reason of worship, and that was really her lot in life. She was known and used throughout the city and residing in its outer walls. Rahab hasn't grown up under the incredible hand of God, quite unlike Joshua. She hasn't grown up seeing him at work. She hasn't grown up in the community of these Israelites who have a history, who have walked with God, who have heard him speak. That is not Rahab's lot in life. Rahab hasn't learned the God's precepts at the feet of his best friend Moses. She doesn't know a community of people that God calls his own. In these ancient cities, I imagined that um, they would keep their most important and um, upstanding citizens, you know, in the middle, a little bit like we have gated communities. You know, it's where all the nice people live, they get to stay in the nice areas, and then the, the riffraff kind of would have been on the outer side. So we know that Rahab wasn't living in the nicest part of town. So if, we, if you open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2, I'm just going to summarize it. In verse 1, the spies enter Jericho, and they end up in her home. They've been sent out by Joshua, and he said, go and survey the land. You know, Joshua learned a really good lesson, because the first time he went, 40 years earlier, they were 12. Joshua realizes, you know, discouragement can come in a crowd. I'm going to send two guys. Yeah? He's learned a lesson there. He sent two men in, and they end up in Rahab's home. I wonder what those spies are thinking. They're either thinking this is a great place to gather intel, or they're thinking, who's going to tell Joshua we're at a prostitute's house? <laughs> These are two really good Jewish boys, and this is not where they're supposed to be. In verse 2, we're told that the king is told that two spies have entered the city, and they went to Rahab's place. So he sends a message to Rahab. Really, it's an order. Bring out the spies and hand them over to the king's men. In verse 4, we get a glimpse of Rahab. She's got something else in mind. She's wily. She says, you know, they were here. They were here, yes, but they left. They are no longer here. And suddenly Rahab has changed sides. She sends the king's men on a wild goose chase, and this is treason. You, can you imagine SAPS is at your place? There's, there's, there's two men here. No, 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 they, they were, they were. But like I heard them saying they're off to Inanda or something, like just head out that way. 
Rahab's totally made a completely different, she's made a life-changing decision and she switches allegiance. In verse 6, we learn that she's hidden them um, beneath some flax on the roof. And the spies must have heard the king's men coming in, wondered if Rahab was going to give them up. How was this going to end up? They, had, they didn't know this woman. She didn't know them. What was going to happen? Their lives were in her hands. And um, I just, the, another element that I, I saw was that Rahab is commended for, her, for the way in which she, um, the word is going to pop out of my head right now, right? The way that she receives the spies. So that is commended to her as a woman. That, that is a place that they're able to stay, that they're kept safe, that she hides these spies, and then that she spares their lives. So, four Ds. She makes a declaration in verse 9. Rahab says, I know the Lord has given you this land. You're living in Durban. There's two spies that have come through. I know the Lord has given you this land. It's not for us anymore. She then recounts all that she has heard of the demonstration of power of what God has done. Glenridge, please remember every single time you hear somebody talk about something that God has done in power. It is a good thing to remember. It is that testimony that will encourage you. It is that testimony that will grow your faith. She's recounting. You crossed the, over the, the Red Sea on dry land. We heard that. We heard that you came through the desert and that your God was with you. We heard that you annihilated the two cities on the other side of the river. They're all gone. And our hearts are melting in fear. We have heard that there is a mighty God on your side demonstrating his power on your behalf. She declares her belief in faith. The Lord, your God, that God demonstrating his power, is God in heaven and below. She's never, ever heard the scriptures. The Israelites would pray, the Lord our God is one. She's never heard the word, and she is recanting it back to them. So she makes a declaration. Our second D is in verse 12. She states her desire. She says to the spies, swear to me that you will show kindness to my family. Show us unmerited favor and mercy, she asks for the impossible. I'm Rahab the harlot. The city is yours. Your God is God alone. But when you come back, please save us. The cheek. Who does this lady think she is? She's a harlot living in the city walls. And now when you come back, please save us. Was she savvy? Did she have this, this revelation? Were both things happening at the same time? And this beautiful woman, Rahab, has an evangelist's heart because she's like, not just me, but my mother and my father and my brothers and my sisters and the goats and the dishes and the plates and everything we own. Will you save us all and everything that is ours? She states her desire. She asks. She says, save us. The fourth D is a display. Give me a sign. She asks for an oath, an oath was like a contract back then. We use words, I love words, we've got lots of words going. She asks for an oath, an irrevocable promise when they come back. She says, I've spared your lives, please spare mine. Um, Raymond said this to me this morning, but she asks those spies to make a promise on behalf of God for her. It's big asks, big, big, big asks. 
And after she said that, and they've given their oath, she says, I need, a, I need a, 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 something that is going to be a clear sign that you're going to be able to see. And so the last D is the directions. She's told, to follow the, she's told to follow these requirements. Tie a scarlet cord from your window. Stay in the house. Stay in here. If you're in the house, you're saved. If you're not in the house, you're not going to be saved. Stay here where the symbol of salvation is. And do not tell anyone what we are doing or where we're going. So, this is what we see. I believe, save me, give me a sign of this intended salvation. Rahab's story follows this pattern we see repeated throughout the Old Testament. God making an exception, God stopping for one, God bringing his salvation in. Colossians 1 verse 26 says, There's a mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it is now disclosed to us, the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, which Rahab would have been, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the scarlet cord. So the next section is the waiting, and that was big for me because, you know, we know the end of the story. The Rahab story is pretty quick. You can read it. I don't have to preach. There it is. Some of you will be familiar with it. But she waits. She lowers him out the window, and for three days they hide. And then it takes them three days to get back to where the Israelites are encamped on the other side of the river because they haven't crossed the river at this stage. She waits. In chapter 3 and 4, we see that it took the Israelites another three days to prepare to cross the Jordan, and we're not told how long it takes them to get across. In chapter 5, if that wasn't long enough, after they've crossed over, Joshua circumcises all the Israelite men. The one number it gives us in there is that there were 40,000 fighting men from the tribes of Manasseh and Reuben who were going to stay on the other side. That's where their inheritance was. Joshua stops and circumcises all of them. Rahab's still waiting. There was a time of recovery after that, and then they celebrate Passover. Rahab's still waiting. She's still waiting. Seven days and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you and I know how the story ends, and it's beyond what Rahab could have asked or imagined. It's, it's easy, right? Rahab's going to have this incredible ending, but no. The wait is not, the wait is not easy. But waiting isn't denial. Waiting isn't to diminish our belief. Waiting doesn't change the directions that you have been given. Are you waiting? Are you waiting? Nothing has changed about what he's promised you. You're just waiting. You're just waiting. He hasn't changed his mind. You're just waiting. God exhausts, exhorts us to believe. Those who wait upon the Lord, their strength will be renewed. I love the message. It says, develop passionate patience. I was like, passionate patience? Stan, passionate patience at home affairs, hey? Yeah. Passionate patience. Very passionate. Trust the salvation that has been promised to you. It's not you who needs to ensure that the salvation is true. It's the reality of the scarlet cord on the window. That is where your salvation is coming from. I had this incredible just vision of the fact that Rahab is the woman in the wall, and the, the symbol she's given is the scarlet cord. 
that scarlet cord, the blood of Jesus Christ waiting with Rahab in the wall, her salvation right there in the wall. That is this incredible picture that we're being shown. So then the walk around Jericho begins. I can just imagine, I can just see Rahab's whole family in the house with her. Maybe there's a window, so there's a window, right? Rahab, we have been waiting. Rahab, are you serious about this? Is this how this is going to go down? No, 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 no. It's starting. It's starting. They walk around the city. Are you for real? I'm out of here. I mean, really, seriously. No, no, we stay in the house. We stay where salvation has been promised to us. Day one, day two, day three. Whatever Rahab and her family thought, they remained in the wall. They don't leave that place. And on the seventh day, when the walls come down, in the chaos, in the screaming, in the burning, in the noise, they remain in the wall. Stay in the place where God has promised you salvation. That is where we keep our eyes. We keep our eyes on his promise, on what he has done. Where the scarlet cord hangs is where you stay. Don't go anywhere. I cannot, I just cannot imagine what it would have been like to be in that room that day. Chapter 6. So this story that we've been talking about is in chapter 2. We're in chapter 6 now. When Joshua finally says, call Rahab and her family out. He asks the spies who know where she is who've made the pact with her to bring her and her family and to accommodate them outside the camp. Everything that Rahab represented would have been, there's a word, abhorrent to Jewish culture. Everything that she was. I mean, God's asked us to burn the city to the ground. Everything. Why this woman? A harlot? That's who we've saved? Can you imagine the camp of Israel? Because I'm pretty sure, I mean... This is the body of Christ, right? We're not like that. If God called someone in and showed his salvation, we'd be like, yes, you are the favorite of God. No. It's Rahab, the harlot, among us. Keep her outside the camp. But God's salvation is true. Rahab was foreign. She's a harlot. I don't think that they would have believed that the spies were right about her. I'm told that... um, Jewish culture can be quite prickly. Cornet lived there, and she's explained to me that they can be quite a, not an easy people when you meet them at first. And we know we've, in our cultures, we've all got those people. They're not easygoing. They're not relaxed. I can imagine them just saying, listen, an oath is an oath, but don't expect me to hang out with her. In Ruth, verse, chapter 4, verse 6, in the story of Ruth, and there's such a beautiful link to this, the kinsman redeemer who was meant to be the one who would have saved Ruth, he says... I don't want to lose my inheritance over this foreign woman. How many in Israel might have thought, we don't want to lose our inheritance over this foreign woman? Why are we saving her? This is not what what needs to happen. But that is not God's plan. Chapter 6, verse 25 says, And Rahab and her family lived with the Israelites, and that is where she still lives till today. So I'm thinking, was that, was that like when the story was recently written? Like, then, then that would have made sense, where she still lives among them till today. It can't possibly right, be right, but it is. So Rahab's family is saved. Her father is alive. Her brothers are alive. Her family line continues to live on. But there's more than that to this story. There's a way more than that for this 
woman. There's way more than that in her salvation. Her salvation is not just coming out of Jericho alive. Her salvation is not the testimony that after that city went down, I survived. When God wants to demonstrate power for your salvation, trust me, it's not just for you. There is a much bigger picture in what he is going to achieve. In Jewish law, a non-Jewish woman could not produce a Jewish heir. That's why Ruth's kinsman redeemer didn't want her. She was a Moabitess. They were serious about purity, and they were serious about it because God had asked them to be serious about it. They weren't just being unkind. They weren't just being xenophobic. God had asked them not to intermingle. But God's got a bigger plan for salvation. This mystery that is being revealed even unto the Gentiles. God begins to graft in the unthinkable. So, there's a Disney-like ending. Seriously. We learn that Rahab marries a prince of Judah. Judah, the strongest clan among the Israelites, the biggest clan, she marries a man of standing in that community. What do you think Rahab was like? You've been saved much. The Bible says those who've been saved much, they would have praised much. She would have been full of joy. She would have been full of just the gratitude for her salvation from that place. Beyond that, she is now loved and grafted in. God has done a work of salvation unlike any other. She is married by a man from the tribe of praise, the ones that led the walk around Jericho. She is grafted into the greatest gospel story of redemption. Matthew 1, verse 5, places Rahab the harlot unbelievably in the most famous genealogy of all of Israel and now the world. Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus. It's a big deal. The salvation of God has come. It is a big deal. Before you see her in the genealogy of Jesus, you learn that she becomes the great-grandmother of David, King David. And one of her descendants is Boab, Boaz. And what is Boaz? He's a redeemer. He's a kinsman redeemer. The picture of salvation never stops. It never stops. God has had an intention to graft us in, to save us, and to ensure that we are in his genealogy. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So it's only right that Hebrews 11 verse 31 says we are to make Rahab an example in our walk of faith. You and I are to look up to her. We're to look up to her faith, to look up to her declaration, to understand that desire for unmerited favor. I believe, save me, give me a sign, a display of my salvation. We're to trust in a God who saves. And when God moves in power for in your life, he wants to establish that truth in you and beyond you. All around us, the sovereign God is making himself known all around us. He's wanting to use that salvation so that everybody can come to know him. So that the scarlet cord that hangs in my life and the scarlet cord, the blood of Jesus that is in your life, is known to everyone around you and that salvation will come to many. In doing so, he's going to build us up. He's going to build a people and he's going to build a nation. He's going to build his church. Amen.